Church, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. This morning, I want to speak to you about having a Martha moment. Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. Have you ever wondered what Jesus did after a long day of ministry? The gospel writers don't give us a detailed itinerary of the Savior. They describe many of his miracles. They record a few of his sermons. They tell us some of the places where he went. But after a long, grueling day of ministry, where did Jesus go? What did he do? A couple of weeks ago, we came across that statement that Jesus gave to a would-be follower when he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The one who owns the universe apparently never owned a house. Jesus subjected himself to abject poverty. Our Savior walked this sod homeless for the better part of his ministry. It would seem that Jesus needed people to not only open their hearts to him, but also open their homes to him. There's probably no house that he enjoyed visiting more than the house that was located in Bethany, the one belonging to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. These three siblings were a tight-knit family. They loved the Lord. The Lord loved them. Their house was located in the village called Bethany, about two miles east of the holy city of Jerusalem. Whenever Jesus was passing through, it seems that he would always stop there. They opened their homes to him, and they allowed him to eat and to dine and to rest there in their humble abode. Jesus loved that place, and that family loved Jesus. Also, a couple of weeks ago, we learned that at this time in his ministry, Jesus is a man on a mission It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus has determination etched on his face. Every step is a step of purpose. He knows that he's making his way to Jerusalem. He's on his farewell tour. He understands he's on a road that's going to lead him to Jerusalem and leave him hanging on a cross to be a substitutionary sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Jesus knows this is why he has come. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and the only way to do that would be to die in our place. Jesus is on his path to Jerusalem. He is a man on a mission. 
He's going from village to village, place to place, town to town, house to house, communicating who he is and why he's come. Luke tells us that Jesus entered the village called Bethany. He bumped into Martha. I'm sure he bumped into Martha on purpose. And Martha, as her custom, extended to him southern hospitality before southern hospitality was ever in vogue. She said, Jesus, I want you to come to my house. I want to make a meal for you and for your disciples. This may be the last time that you and I get to dine together. And so, Jesus, I insist that you come. She insisted. Jesus accepted. And off she went to make all the necessary preparations. Luke says that Martha was overwhelmed by all the preparations that just had to be made. The word that he uses there to describe her disposition is a word that means stressed out. She is burdened. She's at wit's end. She understands that things have to be done a certain way because if it's worth doing, it is worth doing well. And Jesus is coming to her house. And it's not every day that Jesus comes to your house. And this is when he's on his farewell tour. And we know that this could be the very last time he ever steps foot in my house. And so she wants everything to be perfect. She is overwhelmed. She is stressed out. She is burdened by all the preparations that have to be made. That word preparation literally means service, ministry. She's overwhelmed by all the things that have to be done, all the ministry that she wants to do for Christ. She is overwhelmed. She is stressed out by all the things, all the responsibilities that she must do for Jesus. She scurries her way back home. It didn't take long before Jesus and the disciples show up. They knock on the door, and Martha is already in the kitchen, elbow deep in water, standing at the sink. She hears Jesus come in, and she says, "Um, Jesus, uh, you guys come on in and make yourselves at home. We will be with you shortly. Now, in that exchange, there's an operative word. And the operative word is we. It's an implied we. It's an assumed we. The we means Martha and Mary. Every time Martha ever opens the home, Mary is always right there beside her to do all the things that need to be done. But for some strange reason, Mary is nowhere to be found. Martha thinks this is a little bit odd, but there's too much to do. Time is of the essence. She must get busy. As she looks around the landscape of the kitchen, she realizes that this is quickly becoming a fiasco. Because the soup it needs to be stirred and, and the salad needs to be mixed together. The vegetables still need to be peeled and placed on top of the stove. And for that matter, the oven is getting too hot. The meat is beginning to burn. The rolls are refusing to rise. The dessert needs to go into the oven, but there's no room in the oven for it. No one has gotten down the good china because after all, Jesus is here. The table has not been set. Some of the uh, preparations of the house have been made, but it hasn't been cleaned, not to Martha's standards. And so she's beginning to become unglued. She's getting a little hot under the apron strings. She realizes that smoke is bellowing out of the oven, that what is is happening here looks more like an evening sacrifice at the temple, more than a culinary delight on the table. She looks like uh, that that everything's about to go up in the smoke, and she is too. I mean, she is about to blow it. She's about to lose it on somebody, and she sits there and thinks to herself, where is Mary? Mary, where is Mary? 
And all of a sudden, she got to the point where she said, I can't take it anymore. After all, I've got to be empathetic to Martha. Martha realizes that this is a monumental task. It's really a minor miracle that this would ever be pulled off. I mean, not only is the dinner for Jesus, but it's also for the 12 disciples. Have you ever tried to feed 13 hungry preachers? I mean, Martha knows that everything has to be done at the same time and placed on the table on time to ensure that everybody has a good time. And it looks like nothing is going according to plan and she is about to go ballistic. Where is Mary? She's supposed to be in the kitchen helping Martha. Where is Mary? All of a sudden, Martha says, I've had enough. I can't do this all by myself. I've got to go find my sister. She walks around the corner of the kitchen. She peers into the living room. That's where Jesus and the disciples had gathered. Jesus is talking. He's instructing. He's teaching. And wouldn't you know it? There's Mary, sitting on her keister, right at the feet of Jesus. Well, this causes Martha just to go over the top. She thinks to herself, why are you sitting there on your derriere when you know and I know you need to be in here helping me? Now, you would think that Martha would regain her composure. Gingerly, tiptoe into the family room, tap Mary on the shoulder and say, can I have a minute with you in the kitchen? Martha has southern hospitality, but she has the demeanor of a northerner. <laughs> you never have to wonder what Martha's thinking. You never have to wonder where you stand with Martha. This is just how her DNA works. This is how she is wired. So, on this day, Martha storms into the living quarters. She bypasses her sister Mary, and she blasts Jesus. Did you hear what she said? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. There is an indictment and an imperative. The indictment is, Jesus, you don't care about me. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? This is not the first time I've opened my house to you. This is not the first meal I've ever provided for you. You know how it works. You know that I'm in the kitchen. Mary's in the kitchen. We're getting everything ready. Don't you care about me? I thought we were tight. I thought we were close. Don't you care that my lazy sister is seated at your feet? Don't you care about me? There's an indictment. There's also an imperative. Tell her to help me. This is not a suggestion. This is not peaceful, pleasant instructions. This is an angry imperative. Tell her to help me. Now Martha believes that Jesus is going to see it her way. Martha believes that Jesus will reprimand Mary, tell her to get up and Go in there and help her sister. After all, that is the biblical thing to do, right? To help your sibling. So she expects for Jesus to come to her aid. This is not the first time that Martha had ever 
come right through the front door and voiced her opinion. Do you remember the story that's told in John chapter 11? It's there that Lazarus is sick. Martha and Sister Mary send word to Jesus that his good friend is ill. They expect Jesus to drop everything he's doing and come to their defense, come to their help. But John says that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. By the time he gets to Bethany, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Martha is looking for Jesus. You bet your bottom dollar she's looking for Jesus. She's going to give him a piece of her mind. She's been looking for him every day since the funeral passed. Every day she's been looking out of her front porch and wondering, where's Jesus? Where is Jesus? Is he ever going to come? And when he pops over the horizon, oh, there goes Martha. She says to him what every preacher just absolutely loves to hear. If you'd have been here, this would not have happened. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, yes, I know that he'll rise again on that great last day, that day of resurrection. And Jesus says, I am resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe this? And gaining her composure, she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus goes and he has a conversation with Mary and then they all go to the tomb where Lazarus had been laid. Jesus goes up in a very dramatic fashion. I mean, think about it. You've got the Savior of the cosmos. You've got the Son of God. You've got the Eternal One who's standing up. He's peering into death. And in, and in great climactic fashion, He says, roll that stone away. And it's Martha who tiptoes up to Him and says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Why? Well, he's been in there for four days. You feel the dig in that? I sent a message to you to come, but you never did come. And now you even missed his funeral. He's been in there for four days, and the body's beginning to stink. I wouldn't do that if I were you. You never have to wonder what Martha's thinking. You never have to worry where you stand with Martha. In our story of Luke 10, Literally, she bypasses her sister, goes right to Jesus, goes for the throat, and she blasts him. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. And then as she got done saying it, I can well imagine that she stepped back, folded her arms, and went, mm-hmm. Because she's waiting for the spiritual shrapnel to fall. She's waiting for Jesus to launch into Mary and say, Mary, get up, go in there and help your sister. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? <laughs> if, if he reprimands anyone, it's not Mary, it's Martha. If Jesus reprimands anyone in this story, it's Martha. You don't have to be in church all your life to hear this story and understand that for most of us, it seems that Mary is the hero and Martha is the heel. That uh, Mary is the one who's portrayed as the victim and Martha is the one that's portrayed as the villain. And you've probably heard more than one sermon on this passage. And the takeaway usually is something like this. 
be more like Mary and be less like Martha. The problem is, I'm kind of fond of Martha. I like Martha. The Marines say we need a few good men. Every minister I know says we need a few good Marthas. If the church didn't have Marthas, you might as well just close the church doors. Because nothing's going to happen. I mean, we need Marthas. I I like Martha. I'm fond of Martha. If we didn't have Marthas, you could kiss Vacation Bible School goodbye. If we didn't have Martha, right now the nursery would be a zoo. The inmates would take over. If we didn't have Martha, no building would be built. If we didn't have Martha, no decision would ever be reached. If we didn't have people like Martha, there'd be no Sunday night visitation program. If we didn't have people like Martha, there would be absolutely no way that Operation Unite would get off the ground and be a success. If we didn't have people like Martha, there'd be no greeters in the parking lot or at the front door of the church. There'd be no one singing in the choir and no one would volunteer to teach a Sunday school class. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of fond of Martha. We need more Marthas. If we didn't have Martha, then I don't know what we would do as a congregation. This is true in the 21st century, and it's always been true. God's people need Martha. Martha's the kind of gal that, if if there was a death in the community, Martha was the first one to cook a meal and take it to the grieving family. In Luke chapter 10, if there was, if there was a, a mom who was sick, Martha would be the first one to volunteer to babysit. You go sit with the kids while the mom got some much-needed rest. If somebody needed clothing, it's Martha who would stand up and say, hey, here's some clothes. I got them out of my closet. And she wouldn't give hand-me-downs. She would give some of her best. That's Martha. Martha would never be guilty of the sin that Jesus indicts the church on in Matthew chapter 26. That's the passage where Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in. I was in need of clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick. You didn't look after me. I was in prison and you did not come to visit me. No, that indictment that Jesus levels against the congregation, against the church, would never be leveled against Martha. Because Martha was an individual who would cook for those who are hungry and give water to those who are thirsty and invite strangers into her house and be one who would meet the needs of others and help uh, nurse the sick back to uh, health and to be there to visit those in prison. Martha was the one who would do that kind of thing. So in this story, i got to be honest, kind of fond of Martha. I know that usually she's seen as the villain, but I don't know that she's a villain. Usually she's portrayed as the heel. I don't know 
if she's a heel. At least Martha is trying to be neighborly, right? I think that's why Luke puts this story where he does in his gospel. It's right at the conclusion of, of, of that great story that we talked about last Sunday where the hotshot lawyer goes up to Jesus, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus takes the lawyer back to the law and says, how do you read it? The lawyer answers superbly. If this was a test, he would have gotten an A+. Plus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you do this, you'll have eternal life. Because the only thing that God requires of you is that you must love God perfectly, and you must love your neighbor passionately. And the hotshot lawyer, in brash arrogance, said, I have no problem loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I do that every day, all day. But who is my neighbor? He wanted Jesus to clearly define his terms who are the people that this lawyer must love? Who are the people that are outside the boundaries of his love? Who are the people that are inside the boundaries of his love? Would it be other Jewish individuals? Would it be other people who are experts in the law? Would it be other individuals who walk like him, talk like him, act like him, and, and even believe like him? Who is his neighbor? And Jesus told that infamous story of the Good Samaritan. The Jewish man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They beat him to a pulp. They left him there. A Jewish priest walked by. He passed. A, a Levite walked by. He too ignored the man. And eventually a Samaritan came. And he lavishly loved this man. He, he was extravagant in his demonstration of love to this one who was supposed to be his enemy. He paid for his expenses not only on that day, but for the better part of the next month. And Jesus wraps it up and says to the expert lawyer, uh, which one acted neighborly? And the Jewish lawyer is such a racist, he can't even say the word Samaritan. He simply says the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. That's your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? It's anyone who has a need that I'm in a position to meet. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've got to love God perfectly. I've got to love neighbor passionately. What this expert lawyer should have done is fall on his face before the Lord and say, I've never loved like that. I don't know how to love like that. I am so blemished. I am so broken. I'm so impure. I can't love God perfectly, and I can't love neighbor passionately. Lord Jesus, I need your help. At the very least, Martha is trying to love neighbor passionately. And she's trying to love the Lord perfectly. Jesus came into her town. He needed a meal. Not only for him, but also for his disciples. This is something that Martha's able to do. She likes to do it. This is how she's wired. She, she enjoys doing this. And so she opens her home. She invites them in. She's doing a noble thing. Did you hear what Jesus said to her? Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha, that double term of endearment. Martha, I'm not, I'm not reprimanding you. I'm not coming down on you. Martha, I'm speaking to you out of love. Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things. That phrase that's translated worried and upset, it literally describes being tied in knots. 
Jesus says, Martha, I look at you and you are wound so tight. Martha, I look at you and you are bound up inside. You are tied up in knots. You are stressed out. You're burdened. You're fatigued. You're frustrated. You're angry because things aren't going the way you want them to go. You are upset and worried about many things. You're worried about how the house looks. You're worried about the rolls refusing to rise. You're worried about the soup. You're worried about the meat burning. You're worried about the dishes on the table. You're worried about many things. But one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. It's not going to be taken away from her. I want you to notice that Jesus does not scold Martha for her actions. He is not telling her, you're doing a bad thing. He is not telling her, stop being Martha. He's not reprimanding her actions. What he is doing is he's saying, you are trying to do a good thing in a bad way. You do realize that good ministry can be tarnished with a bad attitude, don't you? You, you can do some good, noble things, things that are not sinful, things that are actually rather good, uh, upholding your responsibilities. You can do a good thing, but if you do it in a bad way, it will tarnish the entire experience. This is what Jesus is saying to Martha. He's saying, Martha, um, why did I come to your house today? I didn't come to get a meal out of you. I came to give you the word of life. I came not so that you could give me something, but so that I could give you something and so that you could feast on my word by faith, both now and forevermore. Martha, I won't be with you forever. I won't be with you much longer. What Mary has chosen is better in this moment, on this day. What she has will not be taken away from her. What did she choose that was better? She chose to listen to the Lord. You know, all throughout the Bible, listening is of utmost importance. The great Shema begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When the Lord calls Samuel, eventually when he realizes that it's God's voice, Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. When Jesus told the parable of the sower, Luke tells us that Jesus gave us this parable telling us to be careful how we listen. On the mountain of transfiguration, when God enveloped the mountain with a cloud the voice of God spoke saying this is my beloved son whom I love listen to him in the very last book of the Bible Revelation chapters 2 and 3 Jesus himself pins seven letters to seven churches the end of those letters all end in the very same way he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches 
All throughout the Bible, there's an emphasis upon listening. There's an emphasis upon hearing. And by implication, listening leads to obedience. You cannot obey without listening. You cannot listen that doesn't lead you unto obedience. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, it's not that you're doing a bad thing. You're doing a good thing in a bad way. I came not to get something from you. I came to give you something. And what Mary has, she understands. She gets it. So I'm not going to tell her to get up and leave and no longer listen to my teaching and start listening to your instruction and your teaching in the kitchen so what she has will not be taken away from her she is listening and by implication she will then obey what I think happened to Martha is this and I'm very fond of Martha but what I think happened on this day I think that Martha got the two commands in reverse order the great two commands that are articulated for us in the very previous passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not the first time, it's not the only time that those two commands will be given in all of Scripture. In every place it appears in Scripture, it is always given in that order. Never reversed. Whenever God gives us the two great commands, He always says, First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. He never says, first, love your neighbor as yourself, then love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The reason he never speaks them in that order is because Jesus knows that order will crush you. Because you first and foremost have to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength before you ever strive to love neighbor as self. And I think in this story, Martha gets the great commands in reverse. She is trying to love neighbor. She is doing her best to love her neighbor as herself. When she's hungry, she cooks. Jesus is hungry. He needs a meal. And this is not any meal. It could be the last meal she ever makes for the Lord. And so she wants to love Jesus. But she's loving her neighbor in and of her own power to the exclusion of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Friend, if you ever get those two commands in reverse order, it will overwhelm you. It will crush you. Have you ever gotten them in reverse order? You ever been tied up in knots? Let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever lashed out to the ones you love the most? Martha talks to Jesus in this moment in a way that she would not dare talk to any neighbor, co-worker, or church member. She would not barge in, interrupt anybody else, and blast them like she blasted Jesus. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She's lashing out to the one that she would say she loves the most. Because she got the commands in reverse order, she's out of sorts. She's out of sorts with the Lord. She's out of sorts with her sister Mary. She's out of sorts probably with the disciples because if they weren't there, she wouldn't have to make as much food. And she's out of sorts even with herself. She, there's no peace anywhere. And she lashes out to the one that she says she loves the most. You ever do that? 
You ever lash out to the ones that you say you love the most? Perhaps. Maybe because you got the commands in reverse order. Let me ask you another question. Has your joy for serving diminished over the years? If it has, you just might have the commands in reverse order. We call it burnout. We call it fatigue. We say that we're just stressed out. We've got to give it up. It's no longer fun for us. There's no more joy for us. And and maybe that happens for some people, but by and large, what I think happens is that we we get the commands in reverse order. We try to love our neighbor first and then love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what happened to Martha. What Martha would have seen as her act of worship, now she saw just as work. What, what she would have seen as a delight, now was just nothing more than a, a duty, a job. What she used to enjoy, now she just endures. She's got to get this meal. She's got to get it on the table. Nobody's here to help her. She's doing it all by herself. I think she got the two commands in reverse order. Let me ask you this. Um, Here's the third question. If somebody were to ask you to do one more thing, do you think you would lose it? When that happens, it just might be that you got the commands in reverse order. You think to yourself, I'm serving on enough committees. I'm volunteering enough of my time. I don't know what more I could do. I don't want want anybody else to call me, text me, Facebook me. I don't want any other request anyway because the next person, the next person, the next person that says something to me, I'm going to lose it on them. I'm going postal on their head. I mean, I am really going to tell them what for. You ever get like that? Sure you do. I do too. And probably... In those moments, it's because we've gotten the commands in reverse order. Let me say it another way. Ministry for Christ must be preceded by ministry from Christ. Before you can serve the Lord, He must serve you. Before you can do anything for God, God says, I want to do something for you. Ministry for Christ must be preceded by ministry from Christ. That's embedded in the great two commands. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you are able to love neighbor as self. After the Great War, there was a young man who came back from the battlefield. And uh, he he came back and it was just... um, Him and his mom living in the same house. He loved his mom. His dad had passed away years ago. He had been called to serve his country. He did it honorably. He did it faithfully. Came back from the battlefield. His mother was elated uh, that he was able to come back. And they renewed their their wonderful uh, mother-son relationship. It was met with a lot of long talks and a lot of uh, help and, and resources. Eventually, the 25-year-old man met a woman, fell in love, got married. At this time in American history, real estate was hard to come by. 
And so the mother said to her son and daughter-in-law, look, I'll move upstairs. There's an outside entrance. It's kind of like an apartment. I'll just go up and down those steps outside. You guys have the downstairs, have your go at it, and, uh, and this can be your home. They're like, wow, that's great. And for a long time, it worked out well. But as more time passed, fewer visits were made upstairs. The son would come in after a long day at work, and when he would once uh, go up those steps, knock on the door, just check on mom, make sure she was okay. Now he was so tired, all the responsibilities and all the activity that needed to happen, he would just make his way into the house and tend to his wife and tend to his responsibilities. The conversations between the son and the mother waned, and the opportunities of those conversations lengthened from one conversation to the next. More time spanned to the point that it would go days, if not weeks, and the son would never check on his mom. came to be her birthday. The son knew that his mother's favorite color was blue. He went to the store and bought her a, a blue dress. He put it in a box, he wrapped it himself, put a big bow on top of it. Walked up the steps, knocked on the door, said, hey mom, happy birthday. She said, oh son, it's so good to see you. Come on in, do you have a few minutes? Yeah mom, I'll come in. Hey, I don't have long, but I want to give you this gift. It's your birthday, I love you. Thank you for all that you've done. Here, I want to give this to you. She took the gift, she opened it up. She looked at it. She then set the gift aside and she said, thank you son. I love it. He said, Mom, what's wrong? You don't like the dress? No, I like it. What, is it the wrong size? I mean, we can take it back if it's the wrong color. If you don't like it, I've got the receipt. We can take it back. No, no, son, it's great. I love the dress. Mom, I've been knowing you all my life. I know there's something wrong. I can see it on your face. What's the problem? What's wrong? She said, son, I, I don't know how to tell you this. I've got a closet full of dresses. I've got six blue dresses. I don't know what to do with. He said, well, Mom, if you don't like it. She said, no, no, no. It's not that I don't like it. She said, son, what I'm trying to say is this. I don't want yours. I just want you. You know what Jesus is telling Martha? Martha, I don't want yours. I just want you. I don't want your meal. I didn't come here to get a meal from you. I don't want your ministry. I don't want your service. I don't want all of your activities that you think you have to do for me. Martha, I don't want yours. I just want you. You know what Jesus says to every preacher, every minister of the gospel, every deacon, every Sunday school teacher, every choir member, every person who comes to church, every person that calls on the name of the Lord? You know what Jesus says to all of us today? He says, listen, before I want what you can give me, I want you. I don't want yours. I just want you. You are valuable. You made in my image. You're trying to do all this for me and you've got the great commands backwards. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, love neighbor as self. I don't want yours. I just want you. Ministry for Christ must be preceded by ministry from Christ.
It was 25 years ago when Larnell Harris wrote this song. He wrote it from the perspective of God. And the lyrics of the song go something like this. I miss my time with you. Those moments together. And it hurts me when you say that you're too busy. Busy trying to serve me. But how can you serve me when your spirit is empty? I'm wanting more than just a part of you. It's true. I miss my time with you. You know what Jesus is saying to Martha? It's what he says to you, what he says to me. I don't want yours. I don't need yours. I just need and want you. Oftentimes, we get so caught up in ministry, don't we? We get caught up in doing church, all the things that we're supposed to do, all the activities that we have, stuffing our calendars. We think to ourselves, don't just sit there, do something. You know what Jesus says in this story? Don't just do something. Sit there. Jesus came today not to get something from you. Jesus came today to give you something. He came to give you eternal life. He came to give you peace that passes all understanding. He came to give you hope where there is hopelessness in your world. He came to give you help when you're at the end of your rope. Jesus came to give you Himself. So, for a moment, don't just do something. Sit there. Listen to the Word of God. And as you listen to Jesus speak unto you, then that listening will lead to obedience. I don't know about you, but there are far too many times I have a Martha moment. I get things backwards. And when I have a Martha moment, you know what I need? I need a messianic minute. I just need to go to Christ and allow Him to minister to me before I could ever think of ministering in His name. Heavenly Father, we bow before You. We give this invitation. There are some people that are crushed by responsibilities. Some people that are under a heavy weight that sometimes they put on themselves, sometimes they hear uh, from church and from their society of how they ought to live, what they ought to do. But Father, in this moment, will You just please minister to us? Because ministry for Christ must be preceded by ministry from Christ. So help us, Lord. We give You this invitation. Help us to listen and obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.